Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your, your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. They always say trust your gut, but one time my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows and that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support and Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no. Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a glorious 30-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious, honey. This week, I'm curious about how paying attention to human rights can improve global health with Dr. Laura Ferguson. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. This week, I'm very excited to talk about how paying attention to global health is really important because it affects everything. So that's kind of a random question, but she's actually not random because I feel like we're not paying attention. And then I was like, whoever are we going to get in here to explain this to me? And then in comes Laura Ferguson, who is an assistant professor at UCLA. And tell the children about what you do. Um, I am an assistant professor at USC. USC. Hey, you know what? Colleges in California are really similar with those acronyms, and I Ab- struggle. Absolutely, and you know what? We love we love each other, so it's all we it's love all each good. other. But USC is a gorgeous place, which is where you are, and you're an assistant professor there. And tell the children about what you do. 
So I am the Associate Director of the Programme on Global Health and Human Rights uh, and the Director of Research at the Institute for Global Health at USC. And we really, we care about global health uh, and we care about that intersection with human rights and how we can use uh, that as a tool to look at why is health worse for some people? Why do some people have a harder time accessing health services? And what is it that we do about it? Got it. Love that story. And that's very, very important. And um, not to get, you know, super political. I was just talking with my dad this morning about how I shouldn't get super political on the podcast. How has your job changed since, like, the Trump administration has come in? Is it different? Does it feel more, like, imperative? Does it feel more scary? I know that we have, like, a huge cholera, or, excuse me, polio outbreak in Yemen, or is it cholera? What's going on in Yemen? There's a lot of things going on in Yemen, But they had, like, a huge civil war that's, like, caused, like, a huge lack of, like, of access to health care for, like, a huge amount of people. And there's, like horrific diseases going on right now that no one is talking about. Absolutely. And not just in Yemen. I mean, we know also in the DRC, we have another Ebola outbreak. We just finished one. Another one started. Um, I didn't know a second one had just started. It has just started, yeah. Um, We can't not talk about HIV. That's still a huge issue both here and in in other places around the world. I remember there was that Washington Post article speaking of HIV that I think it was last summer, and it was talking about how there's, like, some parts of, like, Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama. Like, there are certain states in the South that have HIV infection rates that are similar to parts of Africa because the access to health care is so scarce and it's the stigma is so huge and people aren't talking about it. And so... Just the idea that, like, it's this issue that's only affecting Africa is, like, kind of false. I think that coastally, like, in New York and, like, L.A. and Atlanta, San Francisco, where there's just, like, gorgeous walk-ins and gorgeous LGBT centers where you can get better access to stuff, um, I think that's helping. But there is huge parts of America, especially in this administration, that, like, are not getting access anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to ask why. Like, why is it we know how to prevent HIV, we know how to treat HIV, and yet... Every year in this country, more than 35,000 people become newly infected. And we know that there's people who aren't accessing treatment. Um, and we know that it doesn't affect everyone equally. So, Tell us about that. Um, I mean, a lot of the issue is, is related to stigma. Probably around two-thirds of new infections uh, in the U.S. are among men who have sex with men. Uh, probably around half are among African-Americans. And we have to like take a step back and say, what are the policies that are creating difficulties for certain populations to access information, prevention services, and, and treatment services? And what are some of those policies that are getting in the way? I mean, a lot of them are driven by stigma. Uh, so in some places... Uh, sex between men is not an acceptable behavior still. And so health workers come from communities where that's a predominant belief. They probably hold that that belief too, and they may be refusing services to people. The same for the transgender community. It's really difficult to find trans-friendly health services, especially especially in parts of Mississippi, Alabama, some of those, those states. A hundred percent. I mean, I've definitely experienced in my life uh, definitely feeling like shamed and um, – treated some kind of way in health clinics that, you know, where I really didn't feel safe to, like, tell the full truth or that I would be shamed if I told the full truth to the person that I was working with. Um, and, that, and I'm, like, a, you know, pretty out and proud, like, not that worried about stuff like gay white guy. So I think if I'm going through that as someone who, like, wears heels, I can't imagine someone who, you know, is from a more rural place and does and is, you know, very concerned for a multitude of reasons about, like, presenting their sexuality, like, publicly because there are so many things that you can come up against. And and then let's make it more complicated and move to sub-Saharan Africa, where we know that sex between men is criminalized in a lot of countries. 
people cannot go to a health centre to get an anal STI treated because they'll be reported to the police. So what do they do? They stay at incredibly high risk. Um, and that's why we see these burgeoning HIV epidemics amongst criminalised, marginalised populations in Africa and other parts of the world. And I know that in parts of the stuff that is driving that in Africa, in places like Uganda and... Um, Uganda is the one that sticks out of my mind the most. It has like a lot of like the really hardcore anti-gay laws that that really scream at me in my mind for memory. But um, there's like that really fanatical religious right in a lot of these African countries that is like causing a lot of these like bad laws and like crazy stuff that makes it criminalized for people to like seek normal treatment. So like how do you from here – like not you, because you're already kind of like doing it, like you're already researching it and really doing the work, but how does someone like me or someone who, I mean, is is the answer just to focus more on like America because we have like a whole bunch of issues going on here? Like how do you help in Africa if you're just like a normal person? Like who can you donate to? Where can you go? What can you do? I mean, there's a whole load of places to donate to. There's places doing really good work, um, ranging from some of the UN agencies, United Nations folks, to very grassroots folks in country. And those are the ones it's kind of harder to find, but we try and link people to because they're often informal organizations. They can't register legally because they're really afraid of what's going to happen to them as an LGBT organization. But because they're not legally registered, then they can't access funding. So it's really hard for them to do their work. Okay, well, let's definitely put some links to those people that you like that are good on this episode description. So that's cute. I like that story. With HIV transmission, like getting you on medication as soon as possible is really important for your long-term health. And it's also really important for reducing, you know, because we now know like from the CDC that like undetectable means untransmittable. So like that's really important for, and, and I think in, if, if the government in a lot of these countries like is thinking that HIV AIDS is like a crazy disease that like, you know, isn't real, it's obviously a really big issue. Absolutely. And I think that this idea of undetectable means untransmissible is really important. And we need to use that as a tool for getting as many people on treatment as possible. We also need to use it as a reason for removing some of the criminal laws that exist in terms of prosecuting exposure to HIV or transmission of HIV. Uh, We know there's a, a guy in Idaho at the moment who's just been sentenced to 30 years. He's undetectable. He used a condom, but he did not disclose his HIV status. And, and got a 30-year sentence off the back of that. We see that happening throughout Africa as well. Those are the kinds of laws that need to be repealed based on this. Because science has changed so much since so many of those laws were enacted in the first place. And even then, I think a lot of those laws were probably questionable and due to like misinformation. I think they were fear-driven laws that weren't, weren't ever evidence-based. And also for this person in Idaho, like how did how did they prove that he didn't – did he admit that he didn't disclose? Did they – I mean, how do you prove that someone didn't disclose? Uh, to be honest, I don't know the exact details of that case, but I, I think that he admitted he didn't disclose, but also that he was undetectable and that he was he did use a condom and no transmission occurred. Right. And so this seems like a crazy kind of sentence to be imposing when there's no there's no risk involved at all. Right. Uh, but th- there's one more thing that I wanted to say about undetectable is untransmissible, which I do think is really important. But we have to understand why some people aren't undetectable because they're the ones probably who were most discriminated against and most marginalized. Because they were like given access to pills and taken away and let, so they got resistant to it or something? What or, happened? Or because they don't have access in the first place, because they're too scared to disclose, because they can't access services, because if as a trans person they turn up as a health facility, they're, they're turned away. There are all sorts of reasons why people aren't on treatment and aren't undetectable. And I don't 
I, I have this slight fear that this new undetectable is untransmissible is going to be a further reason to stigmatize and marginalize the hardest to reach communities. And that's the last thing that we want to do through that. Right. Especially because if you aren't having access to medication, like you're super highly contagious, like on top of it, which is like, you know, makes the problem even harder. Yeah. And and you're already super highly stigmatized and probably have like potentially depression or like a lot of stress in your life and all, all the things that come come with the, the stress of having a chronic disease that you know is infectious, that is going to kill you and may kill others if you transmit it. Well, you know, I, so it's kind of switching gears from, um, HIV and, you know, which is, it still definitely falls in this wheelhouse with this idea of like public health and, you know, money and access to um, healthcare and money. It's like when you look at, you know, you're obviously British, which is gorgeous. Everyone knows I'm a huge fan of a British person. But the idea of like, you know, um, socialized healthcare versus like, you know, the healthcare that we have here, which is like not socialized. And, and that's really a fundamental fight in the United States. And it always has been this conversation of like socialism versus like, what's the opposite of socialism? Capitalism. That's what I'm going for. I love that. Like you're like I don't know that word. Expensive. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's like, but like capitalism based, you know, healthcare versus like, um, you know, social based healthcare. And the thing is, is like, should you have to? It's like should highlights like having good hair. Should that be the same as having good healthcare? Like, is healthcare a human right, or is it something that you pay for? Like, can you monetize? you know, the nicer healthcare or whatever. And I think that in America, especially on the right, like it's, you know, seen as this like, this dick swinging contest of like how much money you have. Because if you have more money, you can figure out how to work the system and be smart, as Donald Trump says, you know, because he knows how to like file the dodgy taxes and work the system because he knows how to go bankrupt 17 times and still end up with, you know, presidency. Um, So he says, though, you know, if you work that system, that capitalistic system, it makes you smart. And so that's what, you know, it seems like it's this almost relic of like, um, you know, slavery, if you think about it, because when the 13th Amendment passed, they it was like, we're all created the same if you're not a criminal, like all freemen. And so the only way that you can make someone not free is to make them a criminal. And so I think ever since then, we've, you know, especially in Southern states, they've made laws that have like targeted people of color and targeted. And now it's not only have they targeted people of color, but it's targeted people with low money and it's meant to keep them there. Like these people are being manipulated and it's meant to make everyone on an uneven playing field through misinformation so that like we can have the same situation that we have right now. So it's this, how do you convince people and how do you deal with, because I mean, we're going to have like all sorts of, I mean, you're seeing it with antibiotic resistant gonorrhea and chlamydia and all these other like, and now we can't say like fact-based and or science-based and or trans and all these things, even right here in America with the CDC. And don't even get me started on the NRA and the lack of research on gun stuff because they are so powerful. The CDC, which leads me to another question after this rant, um, which is this. Can the USC do gorgeous research on, like, how much guns kill in this country? Because, you know, like, the CDC can't really do any official studies on gun violence in this country because the NRA won't let them. Like, the United States government won't let the CDC do official research on gun violence in America. I think the challenge with that is who is going to fund it? Um, and it's not my field, like, I don't, I don't work in gun violence. Is there a sore re- need for research? Absolutely. Like, I mean, there couldn't be more of a need. But who's going to step up and, and fund that and do it? Um, and that's, I think, that's where a lot of the challenge lies around this. How do you guys research, like, public health? Like, what's, like, a study look like? And why are they important? Like, studies. Studies are important to help us figure out what needs to be done and how to do it. Um, and so there's all sorts of different types of studies. You can study, like, when a new drug's being developed, you need to study, does this work or not? Like, is it better than what we've got now or not? Is it going to harm people or not? Like, 
how, how much is it going to help people? So we need to know stuff about like how much drugs work. But I think beyond that, it's like, well, what do you need in people's lives for them to want to use these drugs? What are the barriers that exist that stop people coming for health services? So there's a whole field of research around that. Well, I think one thing that becomes like even just talking about this because like, like, what about like you know vaccine deniers and people are like this is all a big conspiracy? And, like maybe they they don't even believe that HIV AIDS exists and they just think it's like a figment of like the or you know like a like how do you reach out to those sorts of people? Well, again, I mean, there's another research study to do there. Like, what's how best do you disseminate information in a way that people will actually believe you? And that's really important right now with all of this denialism going on, whether it's around HIV or vaccines or a million other things that seem to be non-fact-based anymore. Uh, and that brings us into the realm of politics, which I think is really important in this discussion, is we know that policies ideally should be evidence-based. We should look at what works, for whom, how do we make it happen, and do it. But health decisions are ultimately political decisions, and the benefits of any any health policy are weighed against, well, what are the economic implications, or what's what's the implications for big business, because they're the ones who fund my campaign, and I want to make sure I protect their interests in this. Which is, like, why that whole controversy of, like, Canadian um, refugee stuff with, like, their HIV status, because, like, if you don't have, like, a fiancé or someone to, like, bring you into Canada, like, they will make you disclose that and they can deny you for that because they don't want to take on like an, a retroviral, you know, person who has to like take a pill every day. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of countries will revoke um, visas on the grounds of HIV or even for refugees coming in. Use, That's the Canadian use HIV one. Status as, as a reason for, for not allowing people in. Yeah. That was one thing that a lot of people talked to me about in, in comments and on Twitter and stuff about Canada was like, because I'm think Justin Trudeau is so cute but like that's one thing where they're like well you know he's really kind of messing up here and it's something that people don't talk about because they think of like Canada nice and they're like doing all the most and they're really and they are and I mean love you Canada Montreal is gorgeous but that is a thing um but we really can't even be throwing any stones at Canada honey because like we're doing the worst Ever. It's true, and it's really nice to have a, an, a semi-positive example to, to hold yes, on to. Yes, yes, yes. There are good things happening in the yes, world right totally, now. Yes, totally, yes. And they're doing the best they can, and it's yeah, like a thing. Yeah. But why is it that, like, I mean, not to keep going to HIV, but because I feel like I've read things where, like, there's, like, certain pills that they can get in Africa, like, if you are get lucky enough to get access to medication where like certain retrovirals there can cost as little as like 17 bucks a month but then ones over here cost like if you don't have insurance like what like like you know these astronomical fines or like that Scarelli like you know pharma bro like why like I mean I don't know if that's like in your thing but have you done any like studies on like why pharmacy companies like fuck us over so bad with like drugs <laughs> that people need or what just because it's like a business and exactly so it's a business like um you know, like if you have like a really clever invention and you want to make a ton of money off it, you get a patent on it and that protects any profits you're going to get for the next 20 years. So if this is like some super fancy new, like how to do uh, highlights in the hair, phenomenal technology, great, go for it, make all the money in the world. But if this is a drug that's going to save other people's lives, why should the same law apply? And right now, if you look at the international uh, rules around intellectual property, those same laws do apply. And there are ways around them, and that's how you get the cheaper drugs in, in Africa, where they say, look, this is a public health emergency. We need access to generics, which essentially means we're going to say, take this off patent and have other companies produce these drugs much more cheaply. And obviously, big pharma don't like that because it cuts into their profits. Um, but other companies can pick that up to 
save people's lives, essentially. But there's always this back and forth, there's always this struggle because pharma do want to hold on to patents where they can. And right now we're seeing it around some of the new TB drugs. Um, again, like there's a huge TB actually kills more people every year than HIV now. Um, That's insane. I, tuberculosis. And where, do, where are people dying from tuberculosis? Colin, I see you in the background. I get it. Just four seconds. Let me get to a gorgeous breaking moment. Uh, tuberculosis is often a co-infection with HIV. So it's mainly sub-Saharan Africa. There's a lot of deaths in Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and also East Asia. Eastern Europe and like Albania and stuff, there's like d- TB deaths? It's huge. In prisons especially, there's huge outbreaks of TB going on. And people aren't getting the treatment that they, they could be getting now because of the drug patents. That's horrific. Okay, that's a really good, like, okay, so just um, savor that moment of positivity as we jump into two gorgeous commercials, and we'll be, or maybe it's one, it could be two, it could be one, I don't know, I don't even know how I got here this morning. We'll be right back with more Getting Curious after this. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wajahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but We love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars. It's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. 
let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your, your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Honey, take a moment and just think to yourself, describe yourself in one word. Are you simple, sophisticated, or adventurous? However you dress, the stylist at Stitch Fix can help you find your favorite piece. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. First, you complete a style profile, then an expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your preferences. They even have men's and kids' boxes, too, which we love, honey. Let's get everyone, uh, you know, taken care of. Plus, I'm sure you can mix and match if they aren't, you know, in the dark ages. What if you want something from both? With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Plus, the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. We love our Stitch Fix personal stylists. I can customize my own gorgeous preferences, whether it's sizing, brand, or budget. Once you finish the style quiz and set up your ideal number of deliveries, honey, you'll receive everything from jewelry to shoes to bags, all to go with your hand-picked outfits. I love that. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash JVN and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's S-T-I-T-C-H fix.com slash JVN for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Support for today's show comes from Rakuten. Rakuten is a free member-based loyalty program that lets you earn up to 40% cash back at over 2,500 stores. It's perfect for all your back-to-school shopping needs. Get cash back on everything from school supplies to new clothes at some of your favorite retailers like Macy's, Forever 21, Walmart, and more. And don't worry, it's always free. No gimmicks, no points to redeem. Better yet, Rakuten is so simple and easy to use. Simply go to Rakuten.com, click on the retailer you're looking for to activate the cash back, and then shop as normal. You'll earn a percentage of every purchase you make up to 40% cash back. Then, every three months, members will be paid in the form of a check or via PayPal. Sign up today at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, 
anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential. And it's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time and for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness listeners can get 10% off your first month with the discount code JVN. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash JVN. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash JVN. You can hear ad-free new episodes of Getting Curious, plus two weekly bonus episodes only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com slash JVN and use promo code JVN. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness with Laura Ferguson, Assistant Professor of Public Health and research at USC. I got USC right, Great. but I mess up all the titles besides your name on the way there. Do you want to do your gorgeous title? She's She is kind of like Duchess of Sussex, except for medical. It's it's really good, your title. It's close, yeah, thanks. So I'm an assistant professor and associate director of the Program on Global Health and Human Rights and director of research at the Institute for Global Health at USC. That is a stunning title, and Thank it is you. much cuter than Duchess of Sussex. And how dare I like reduce and minimize your fierce-ass title to that. Not, although I do have to say I am kind of like a royal family stan. I can't help it. I'm so basic and American in that way. Um, I just am. So anyway, back to what we were saying. So patents really are getting in the way of so many global health issues like around the world. It seems like nothing changes until it like is affecting like, you know, Stacy across the street. And then people want to talk about it. But like as long as it's like, you know, in Yemen or Eastern Europe or, you know, somewhere else not here, it's like then we're cute to cute to keep going. Well, I mean, I do think that people pay a lot more attention when it's something they see in their backyard. When we talk about HIV, everybody thinks, oh, well, that's not an issue here anymore. That's Africa. But actually, it is an issue here. It just depends on who who you know and and, um, where you're hanging out, essentially. Um, But... HIV has been a plague, like, and then that's really what began to change some of the rules around patents, or at least the application of the rules. And so these workarounds came into play, and they have been used. They've been used really effectively. I mean, it's the only reason that we have this many million people on HIV treatment around the world. We just need to figure out how to keep using them and to be using them for a broader range of diseases. And this is something that countries like the US, which has a big pharmaceutical industry, is forever pushing back against. So any advances that are made at the global level when it comes to the US negotiating bilateral trade agreements with individual other countries, they're always trying to be more restrictive to help protect pharmaceutical interests here. And so it's like this ongoing political battle that has nothing to do with health, but everything to do with with corporate interests. Right. Back to capitalism. Right. And And that was really my question. It's like, because everything is about priorities, like relationships working or not working in your life. It's like priorities. Like, how do you want to prioritize something? And it seems like money is always prioritized against the well-being of people at all costs, especially here. I, mean, I, I want to be a little bit more optimistic than that. I think that that's often the way things are done. And I think that that's one of the eminently frustrating things about coming at stuff from the kind of technical side of public health and coming in with all the evidence in the world and then having people shoot it down for whatever other political reasons. Um, but in a way, there are there is good progress happening. We are seeing positive shifts. In Tell us reasons. where. We want to know. <laughs> I'm thirsty for some positivity. 
I mean, I think, so one of the exciting things that happened kind of at the intersection of global health and human rights is that there was this big global commission on HIV and the law that looked at what are the bad laws that exist around the world? How are they having this negative impact on HIV and on specific populations? And that a report came out on that about six years ago. And it got kind of a lot of traction in the HIV world. And countries are changing laws. There are like a handful of countries who have now decriminalized exposure to HIV or even transmission of HIV. There are countries that are decriminalizing sex between men, that are decriminalizing possession of certain drugs. Like all of these things are positive in terms of trying to remove some of these legal barriers to accessing treatment. So I do think there are, there are good things happening. Well, one thing I know that you research a lot is like children's health care and like, right? Like, aren't you like, like, I know one in women's like reproductive, like healthcare, I know that like Planned Parenthood has been under like constant attacks since the Trump administration has come in. And not only that, and I know that Bush did this too, but as soon, one of the first things they did was when they came into office, they like removed all the American aid to foreign developing countries that were giving access to healthcare for women's like reproductive rights, sex health, and all that sort of thing. Um, because at the end of the day, that does help everyone if we help other people, because it like keeps everyone better. And the better everyone is, the better we are. Because also that comes back to like, law of abundance versus scarcity. And I think that, you know, the Trump administration really operates from like a fear-based place and from a, if someone else takes something, well, then that means that there's less for us, but that's not true. It's our job as humans to create for ourselves, which is interesting because that's so much of what Republicans stand for too, is that you shouldn't have anyone in your way so that you can create for yourself what you deserve, but they're so actively trying to take away rights and taking away basic human stuff um, that they can't even get their message across because it's just so evil. Right now. It, it's so true. And actually, the, the global gag rule that you talked about that Trump reinstated that was indeed in effect under the Bush administration, Trump actually expanded it. So it used to apply just to reproductive health funding. Now it applies to HIV funding as well. So any organization that does so much about talk about abortion services cannot receive U.S. funding. And same with HIV. Um, yeah. So if you're the only organization in rural Africa providing HIV services and you want to talk about abortion, you can't get U.S. money, which is probably what's keeping you afloat in the first place. So there's this huge restriction on rights happening around the world. And the fallacy on that, too, that's so interesting, and, and obviously, you know, the Republican uh, Republicans are making laws um, in other countries, but at least here, one thing that we've seen them do is remove access to abortion and then also remove access to child care and health care for children and things like Hillary's child insurance policy mm -hmm. um, to try to help some of these, you know, kids that they want to force women to have and then they don't want to provide any sort of like long lasting support um, for them to help or, you know, for, for I mean, which I just think is insane when you think about it. It's totally insane. And I think, you know, there's, we're in this odd situation of our increasingly globalized world. Like we're all closer together. It's, it's quick to get everywhere. We can communicate all around the world. We can trade all around the world. Um, and yet we have these kind of fake divisions of nation states trying to protect their borders in ways which, you know, are kind of anachronistic now. And, and we need to be thinking at a supranational level. Like, disease vectors don't respect borders. Like, you've got at mosquitoes all. flying over borders all the time. You've got people in planes bringing diseases. So how do we work together 
to um, to try and prevent some of some of the disease burden that's going on. And and it's like we know like from Buddhism, it's like you know suffering happens when you like resist what is like because mosquitoes do fly over borders. People do get on airplanes. Like there's no way for Trump to impose like the Trumpian utopia that he wants to impose overnight. And in the meanwhile, in the meanwhile, people are dying and getting hurt, and we're all getting closer to all sorts of different issues because he's like wants to create this like false world that doesn't exist. And I think obviously my voice, it's like you were saying, like I want to be a little bit more positive than that because some things are happening, but it's hard for people like me that are like, you know, feeling this fight and like don't know what to do. So for you as someone who's like in a medical field and you and your daily life are doing the work that you need to do to try to make some of these things better. But like coming back to that thing I said earlier, what can someone do like me? Like that's not reading the news that isn't like, you know, further traumatizing your nervous system, you know, and like in informing yourself on something that you don't really can't change. Like how can I get in the solution um, other than interviewing you right now? I mean, I think that's a great start. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be done. Or the listeners. There's a lot to be done around what's going on in the US and around holding people accountable uh, for what what they stand for. And this kind of came out uh, at the World Health Assembly in May this year, where the US delegation came out very strongly against a resolution that supported breastfeeding. That hit the news in around July. Um, and, and why? It was about really protecting the commercial in, uh, interests of the uh, companies oh, that produce formula. Yeah, um, so we need civil society to be saying to the U.S. politician, "You cannot go into the global stage and do this. This is totally unacceptable. It's against all public health evidence, including what the Department of uh, Health is saying here." Uh, we need to make sure that we're keeping straight on our messaging around public. And that resolution wasn't saying that it's going to be legal to make formula. It was just going to say that, like, just say the truth of what formula is, like, not as cute as real breast milk, like, on the bottle or something? The All the... All the, res- the re- resolution said nothing new, actually. But what it did say, that the, the language that the U.S. wanted to take out was restrictions around the promotion of formula. So nobody's arguing that formula is needed for some women. Absolutely. But what we're trying to do is to prevent it being really aggressively marketed to women who don't need it because that's not the right solution for, that, for them or for their children. Right. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, for like the immune system and all those other things and the antibodies and la la, it's like a whole thing. Exactly. And it seems like such a no brainer. And it, it was it was kind of surprising um, when the U.S. came out this strongly and nobody could really get their heads around why it was. And it just seems to be a, a very unrelated political point that was being made. So how can people right? So how can people really pay better attention to the policies that are being made as far as public health goes? Like, is there... Are you a fan of any blogs? Are you a fan of any like Twitter accounts or anything where people are really like shedding a light on this and giving people better tools to hold people accountable so we can get better policies being made? I mean, I think the NPR Goats and Soda uh, is good. At the Institute for Global Health, we've put together a list of blogs that um, we're promoting that we think do kind of a good job of bringing together some of these issues and trying to highlight not just what the problems are, what some of the solutions are, and also how people can get actively involved. Love. And what are some uh, interesting ways that you're seeing some of those people that you guys have highlighted doing that are like, what are some, like, I just need like a silver linings playbook moment to like wrap this up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are like some, like, tell me a happy story about like public health from like 2018. I'll I'll tell you, please. I'll tell you a happy public health story. It might be a little bit before 2018. No, 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 no. It has to be in the Trump administration because Obama, honey, that was a whole different ballgame. Like good shit was happening left and right then, honey. That was a different world. We're just not there anymore. That's okay. I'm in, I'm in Trump. But I'm also in I'm in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay. Oh, picture it. Democratic uh, Republic of the Congo. Beautiful. 
uh, and uh, sex between men is criminalized. Uh, kind of, uh, you know. So I'm on their most wanted list, honey. You d- most definitely. Yes, are. public enemy number one, honey. Um, but there was this amazing project that um, the United Nations was carrying out, and they brought together the government with a bunch of men who have sex with men and sex workers and transgender folks and said, you guys, you have to sit in the same room. You have to listen. We need to look at what the issues are and we need to find a way forward. And one of the outcomes of that, so there was a little series of dialogues there. And by the end of that, lubricant is now on the essential medicines list of the Democratic Republic of the Congo because men who have sex with men explained to their government why this was so important in terms of protecting them from HIV. Because lube helps protect... Lube was not available. You couldn't buy lube anywhere. And lube helps prevent transmission of HIV because it like makes you less torn or something? Well, you're less likely to for the condom to tear if you're having ah. lubricated sex. Without lubricant, you know, condom tears amongst men who have sex with men or any, any anal sex is very high. So then it's like you're not – it's like no good anyway. Exactly. And so – to see that transformation in a government, to suddenly realize, wow, this is really important. Let's like ratchet this up in terms of political priority, and and let's all talk about lubricant. I was like, this is, and that's brilliant. yeah. There you go. There's a silver lining moment, right? And there. we just need like more of those to happen. So. It's yoga class. It's the end. You know, like the teacher went on a rant, you know, that was like five minutes too long on the left side. They didn't balance the right side. Like, it, you know, I got a little poly, like poly ranty today. What is like the yoga pose that you were really hoping to do today or talk about that I skipped by, you know, because I was just being a, a little yoga teacher baby today. Like, what did I miss? Like, what do the children need to know about either your research or the world or how to be better stewards of the world and public health? Like, what do people need to know? I think we need to know that we all have a responsibility and that we're all in this together and it's, there's, there's no us and them in here. There's no, this doesn't affect me, therefore it's not my issue. All of this affects all of us. And so we do need to reach out across divides. We need to be breaking down barriers and we need to be working together with everybody across all these divides that sometimes feels uncomfortable. But we've got to do it in order to, to try and get to the bottom of any of this. And then just a working example of reaching across the divide to work with someone that might be uncomfortable. I sat in the same room as the MP who tabled that bill in Uganda that asked for the death penalty for sex between men who have HIV. And I had to have a conversation with him. And did you get, did his goes, heart move anywhere? It, did his soul move anywhere? I mean, it was a little hard to tell, but I really tried. And I mean, it was against every fiber in my body to even walk into that room. But I realized that's that- like some Karamo meeting with like the Pence's shit right there. <laughs> but like major, like we do have to reach across the we- fucking aisle and stuff. Yeah, we do. It's so Hamilton. It's like the room where it happened, the room where it happened. It's like it, it's, it's so that like we got to get in there. Got to kick those walls down. I wish there'd been more singing. It would have made it much more. Uh, wouldn't that have been amazing if like everyone would have broken out into like a choreographed like routine that inexplicably everyone like across like barrier divides and against all the odds like everyone was like up down six seven eight and one and two and five six seven eight. That would have been so fierce what we dream of uh well you know maybe someday uh, in the next administration like (laughs) maybe that'll happen maybe it'll be choreo lessons or something for all you know international public health meetings or something let's work towards it all right well uh, and like curing stuff is also important um well thank you so much for coming and uh we are going to include the links of those blogs and we're going to include the links of the like non-official people uh, that really need help and we'll include your links are you do you like the twitter do you like the gram are you active on there absolutely Yes, yes queen we'll get your links on there and just thank you so much for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benes. My guest this week was Dr. Laura Ferguson. You'll find links to Laura's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to this show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. And if you enjoyed our show, honey, get your pen and paper out because you got a couple things to do if you feel like it. The first, subscribe in Apple Podcasts and whatever you're listening to. We really appreciate it. We love a subscribe moment. Write a review in Apple Podcasts. If you're feeling like you just need to practice typing and you want to write a review, please do it. We love it. Share our links on social media. We especially love that. Like new friends, new people, new faces. We love new friends. We love new people. We know new places. Also, send us fan art. Uh, find the P.O. Box address and Earwolf.com. Cute. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hey, guys. It's Sashir. And Nicole. From Best Best Friends. Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. Okay, sure. (laughs) I guess we... Wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's like... cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? Hmm? Answer listener questions. Hi, Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of that. Well, I would be so sad. (laughs) Oh, no. Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> I'm not gonna die. Take BuzzFeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa. This is wild. Plus, we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost want to cry. I feel, I don't know why that really made me feel emotional about it. It's because <laughs> it's pure to talk about it friendship. It's nice. It's so nice. It's like so rare to like articulate it, but she's always there for me. Like, I, I think she's just somebody who. <laughs> Oh, I love this. I love it so much. Oh, my God. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday. On Stitcher. Apple Podcasts. Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen. Oh, my God. To it. (laughs) 